1: Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it.
0: Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts.
2: From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up, a new report from Mental Health America ranks Georgia last in the nation for mental health care access. We'll dissect those findings. Also, after one week, we'll check in with DeKalb County Schools as their students and staff returned to in-class instruction with mandatory masks. Superintendent Dr. Cheryl Watson-Harris joins me. But first, this. The Public Safety Committee of the Atlanta City Council heard a mixed bag of support and opposition to a proposed public safety training building on the old prison farm yesterday. Here's what they heard.
3: With the continual uptick in crime, there is no question that we need this and we need it in this location now. We have greater need for more mental health training and that kind of thing so that situations can be dealt with in a non-violent manner. We're in a freaking crisis and the fact that our government doesn't understand that is unconscionable
2: and irresponsible and incompetent. So... Yet again, for the like seventh time, please, please let the Public Safety Training Center go for that plan.
0: Investing in communities keeps
2: us safe. Forests absorb carbon from the atmosphere and are one of our greatest sources of protection against climate change. We should not be bulldozing forests. We need the ones we still have. We know what makes Atlanta safer, and it is not more policing. Now, some who are for and against the facility have actually taken to protesting outside the residence of some of Atlanta City Council members. Now, the vote will come down when the full Atlanta City Council meets next Monday. In other news, COVID-19 cases among area students and staff continue to increase. And in fact, two Georgia lawmakers who are also scientists have issued a statement highly critical of the way state officials are dealing with. With the COVID outbreaks in schools, the lawmakers are calling the states approached a dangerous policy. Now, the state only recommends school districts follow CDC guidance. Georgia's 180 school boards are left on their own in trying to decide whether or not they should have mask mandates and quarantine requirement. In a lengthy statement, these state representatives, Jasmine Clark, a microbiologist, and Rebecca Mitchell, an epidemiologist, accused the State Department of Health of allowing school systems to cherry-pick guidelines that they say could be dangerous, while also abandoning unpopular decisions that keep children safe. They say not every politician needs to be a scientist, but politicians, they say, should listen to experts when making health policy decisions. Meanwhile, in this order, Gwinnett, Fulton, Cobb, DeKalb, and Hall are the top five counties with confirmed COVID-19 cases and deaths. And in an effort to get more of its residents vaccinated, DeKalb County offered $50 debit cards recently. Right now, the vaccination rate in the county is about 45 percent. So I'm going to check in with CEO Michael Thurman to see how efforts are going, as well as other COVID-related news. CEO Thurman, welcome to the program.
1: Good afternoon, Ms. Scott.
2: Right now, DeCav has a fully vaccination rate about 45 percent. CEO Thurman, that's higher than the state, but you still would like to see that number increased, correct?
1: Absolutely. Our immediate goal is to reach 50, uh, at minimum, 50 percent of our population fully vaccinated. That's our immediate goal.
2: And those recent incentives that you have with residents, you were giving away $50 debit cards. Was it successful, you think?
1: Absolutely, we gave away the cards uh, on three on two separate occasions, and each time we had an increasing number of citizens who stepped forward and got the vaccination. President Biden uh, last week asked local state and local jurisdictions to increase the incentive to one hundred dollars, which is what we'll be doing this
2: weekend on Saturday. Oh, some news here! So you're going from fifty to a hundred.
1: We're going from fifty to a hundred. Uh, this Saturday, 8 a.m. at South DeKalb Mall between 8 and 1 p.m. This Saturday, August 14th.
2: And how many will you all be able to reward with those $100 debit cards, gift, gift cards? Uh, is there a max? No.
1: If, if anyone who gets the vaccination will receive a $100 prepaid debit card. Uh, We're working with the Atlanta Hawks. We expect to have Dominique Wilkins and possibly the Matumbo all there to help encourage citizens in the cabin out to come and get vaccinated.
2: Those those implementations, those efforts um, likely might get some folks out. But listen, according to the state's vaccine dashboard, there is a disparity as it breaks down between race and ethnicity. When you look at it by percentage in your county, about 74 percent of the Asian population is is vaccinated. Thirty six point five percent black, 53.7 percent white. 37.5% Hispanic and 22.9% identified as as American Indian or, or Alaska Native. Those, some very uneven numbers there. What else can the county do, CEO Thurman?
1: We have to continue to answer legitimate questions. They are questions that need to be addressed. But we also focus on populations of color, as you just mentioned, Rose, are lagging in terms of vaccination rates. We know we have to do a better job consequently. Uh, we're going into the community. We're working with the DeKalb Board of Health as well as the Cura, one of the community health providers, to get the information out, to answer the questions, and to make the vaccine more convenient for those who have decided to step forward and get the shot.
2: Are you also partnering with other as sectors in terms of the faith-based community, you mentioned having Dominique and Dikembe out there, former Atlanta Hawks greats, trying to get folks, you know, motivate folks to get to come out and get vaccinated. Are there other areas that you all need to maybe do a better job of or just even in, improve in terms of getting folks vaccinated?
1: Oh, you're right. bro. Well, sometimes it's the message. Sometimes it's a messenger.
2: Mm-hmm. So we
1: work with our faith leaders with food distribution and masks and sanitizers. But so we'll be reaching out to our faith leaders throughout the DeKalb County to help us. Uh, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we had a vaccination event, food distribution uh, at churches. So mm-hmm. we know that we have to do a better. The one thing we aren't going to do is, is just accept defeat and believe that there's nothing else can be done. We know we have to have more targeted messages directed at specific segments of the population that's not currently vaccinated.
2: And meanwhile, CEO Thurman, I do want to shift to another pandemic-related issue, and that it centers on evictions. Right now, we know there's another national moratorium in place. However, you all had implemented one immediately after that CDC moratorium expired. What resources do you all still have for those at risk for eviction?
1: Well, thanks to the CAB Chief Judge Asha Jackson, uh, we were one of the first local jurisdictions to extend at a local level our moratorium. And what we did, we recognized, though, that moratoriums create very difficult financial burden for landlords, many Mm -hmm. of them small landlord owners, what we call mom and pop. Mm -hmm. So we increased the amount of funding and support that's going to landlords, 12 months full rent plus three months prospective rent that goes directly to uh, landlords, regardless of the amount. So we want to help landlords keep families in safe, secure housing.
2: And there were some reports, uh, not only through the AJC, but other media outlets reporting that Georgia overall, with all the money that it received from Washington, we're talking about over $500 million, CEO Thurman, that just a small percentage, maybe less than 7%, had actually been dispersed. What do you make of that?
1: Well, it's tough. bro. I've set up food distributions, uh, uh Loan programs for small business owners, we've distributed masks, we've done so many different things, created jobs, virtual jobs for you. Nothing has been more difficult than setting up this particular program. In the DeKalb, we also had an international cyber attack
0: mm-hmm. that locked
1: down our system for about six weeks. But we are up and running now. We are distributing about seven dollars to $800,000 a week in rental assistance. Now that we're up and going. Uh, The most recent numbers, we've helped nearly 900 households and distributed about $4 million. So things are picked up. We're moving in the right direction. But it's been a heavy lift to get it up and going. I'll just be honest.
2: Well, and listen, in terms of directions, we're not moving in the right direction in terms of increased cases nationally and obviously in the state here as it relates to the Delta variant. Listen, so much is made about mandatory masks. Yes, no, your thoughts on all that. Governor Brian Kemp is not in favor of mandatory masks. School districts are going to leave it up to themselves. What's your take on all of this?
1: You and I have been talking throughout the the life of this pandemic, and for the first time in 18 months, I'm beginning, maybe I'm just tired, I don't know, but I'm beginning to feel a sense of foreboding about what is getting ready to take place. Uh, The Delta variant is extremely contagious. Is spreading, and we are still trapped in this world of partisan politics. Let me paraphrase President Lincoln in the Old Testament. A house divided against itself cannot defeat COVID-19. That's the problem. This shouldn't be a political discussion. We have to do everything we can to save as many people as we can. Let me share something with you. Last night, 1,400 DeKalb County residents have lost their lives to COVID-19, as of last night at 6 o'clock. Think about that. In 18 months, mm-hmm. we've had 1,400 just in the camp who've been killed by this virus. I don't know whether the 1,004 people were Republicans or Democrats or blacks or whites, but every life has value and we must do everything we can to save a life. That's why we're going to be out with the vaccine. Folks, said, "Well, what's success? I said, one. Hell, if I can save one person one life, by going out on Saturday and helping them get access to a vaccine, is bursting. And I don't want to get to one of 1,005.
2: No, and those numbers, CEO Thurman, are right there, available at the State Department of Public Health, their website. I'm looking at it right now. You're right, 1,004. Uh, you all are fourth sadly, and deaths in this in this state. You mentioned politics being involved with this. But I want to get your thoughts, because when you have some elected officials, uh, we just learned that Marjorie Taylor Greene, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, was again suspended from Twitter for making false statements about the vaccine, saying it's not working. I mean, in this past weekend, also, she was somewhere and talked about in a sense, urging people, if if Biden folks come to your door talking about getting a vaccine, remember your Second Amendment rights. What do you make of all this, though? How do you get past that then?
1: Just total insanity. Well, you can't accept it. You can't let it go unanswered. And you have to continue to fight. I'm so proud of the Atlanta Hawks who are standing up and helping us to get information out. Uh, John Hollins and Clint Capella, mm-hmm. who are now advocating to help people get vaccines. We just got to keep fighting. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to let this disease, without opposition, come into the cab and destroy lives without a fight.
2: As we wrap up, speaking of politics, there are some rumors that you are about to take another run. You want to confirm or deny that?
1: I hadn't heard the rumors. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You ain't, what do you mean you ain't heard the rumor? Are you, are you running for any office, CEO Thurman?
1: I'm serving as CEO of the DeKalb County. For now, you know, but I that's going
2: to come to an end. Are you looking if to...
1: If will, it will. Hope, listen, hope springs eternal in the hearts of politicians. But right now, I'm focused on getting as many people as I can out south of DeKalb on Saturday from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Dominique Batumbo will be there. Uh, we'll be there working with the Board of Health and McCura to provide tests and back food. We're going to save some lives on Saturday. That's what I'm focused on.
2: Have you done any testing in terms of fundraising to see if there's support out there for you while you're still working to save lives and do everything else in DeKalb County, which I know your residents appreciate?
1: <laughs> I'm old school. I think you have to earn the right to leave mm-hmm. or to even have other leadership ambitions, I'm focused, I'm working. You know, Rose, we've been in this together. We we were there in March and April Mm -hmm. and all through this pandemic. And I'm just going to continue to stay on this wall and protect the city that's elected me to serve.
2: DeKalb County CEO, Michael Thurman, as always, we appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for the update on all things COVID in your county. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Rose. Thank you.
2: And you're listening to Closer Look here on 90.1 WABE and streaming live as always. I'm Rose Scott. Georgia came in last among the states regarding access to mental health care. Now, this is according to a report from Mental Health America, which focuses on access to insurance and treatment quality and the cost of insurance and other factors. We wanted to know what metrics were used and what data was gathered for all of this. So, join me now is Abdul Henderson. He's the Executive Director of Mental Health America of Georgia. Mr. Henderson, welcome to the program. I really appreciate it.
4: Hey, how you doing, Rose? Thank you. Doing
2: okay. You just heard the conversation I had with the uh, CEO, Michael Thurman, regarding COVID numbers and all of that. Before we get into the d- findings of this report what have you made what do you make of the last 18 19 months here in our nation?
4: You know, I, I believe the last 18 19 months have been extremely stressful on people uh, you've had everyone's lives essentially change and we know that change is difficult uh, for for a lot of people um, and then we've had extreme isolation mm-hmm. you know from our friends family, loved ones whether they're healthy or sick. Um, and and only God knows that for the ones that have been in a nursing home or uh, hospitalized due to a, a long term condition or you know maybe a, an an accident, um, and then you you can't see your loved one that, that causes extreme stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be taxing on your 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 mental health.
2: I read a few articles and it talked about how our nation is in the midst of a mental health pandemic as well. So I know it's not lost on you that there's a lot of truth in that analysis.
4: Right. No, uh, you know, depression, anxiety, suicide, suicide ideation, all these uh, figures have been going up. Uh, You you know, uh, I know in in the report that you've referenced, uh, two of Georgia counties, uh, Lee and Harrelson County ranked in the top 20 Mm -hmm. uh, of suicide ideation, Uh, the national organization is actually coming out with another report uh, in about a week that is going to put Georgia in a leading category of severe depression.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: And uh, it's already data, this is already public knowledge though, uh, but from uh, DBHDD, which is the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities here in the state of Georgia, they've already released data that shows that Dawson County Mm -hmm. has led the state in suicide for the last uh, 10 years. So Georgia definitely has its, its own challenges that we need to address immediately.
2: And when we talk about, let's talk about your national organization, first of all, for folks that may not be familiar, tell our audience about Mental Health America.
4: Yeah, so uh, Mental Health America is one of the largest mental health nonprofits in the country. Uh, Mental Health America of Georgia is an affiliate mm-hmm. of, of our national organization. Uh, we specifically on f- focus on a lot of education and training, uh, early intervention, identification. Our programs are throughout the entire state, but we partner with uh, DBHDD, uh, Department of Family Children Services, Department of Education, uh, and, and a lot of uh, 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 foundations and corporations on trying to bring uh, uh, services to 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 residents of Georgia. Mm-hmm.
2: And when we talk about this access to care ranking for 2021, you all do this every two years, every year.
4: Uh, so MHA came out with a, a screening tool, mm-hmm. um, and so this screening tool uh, is available to anyone in the country, and uh, it it it's on our website, and so people who go to our website, use it, and then they can uh, use it for, for mental health, mm-hmm. postpartum, depression, maternal health. It's, it's, a, it's a range of different instances that you can use. And then through some of the questions in the survey, um, you know, all that gets filtered back mm-hmm. to all of our affiliates and chapters uh, across the country.
2: Well, of course, as you can imagine, and even when we were just running promos for this segment here and I got emails from people saying, please make sure you ask them how they came up with this. Of course, now we're going to get into the metrics. There are some metrics that you all use that, that are identified to, I guess, can come up with the conclusion of these access rankings. Uh, what are they? Let's Let's go over some of them.
4: Uh, so, in terms of the the metrics in terms of access, obviously Georgia is is ranked last. Uh, it's a, it's part of Georgia's issue. One is the difference between states that do well and states that don't. Georgia is a, is a, a state that has not expanded Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the primary difference between states that do well in mental health and that do not. Uh, Right now, if if Georgia was to expand Medicaid, we would be able to enroll more people in healthcare and deliver more services. Uh, that is one difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, another issue is is that there is a federal mandate that uh, requires insurance companies not to deny services to people. Unfortunately, Georgia does not have a person that can do a data call to analyze to see if we're even compliant with the federal statute, which we call parity. Hmm. Uh, so right now we don't know if if, um, if insurance companies are denying people who are already insured mental health coverage. And so that is something that we have to actively um, uh, determine just so we could be see if Georgia's even complying with the federal government. So there are states uh,
2: that have that that individual, that that mechanism in place to determine that—that's what you're saying.
4: I, I, I believe so. I can't say for sure, but I know Georgia doesn't. <laughs> and so, though, those are part of those are you know part of an analysis of why you know Georgia gets such a, a, a poor ranking uh, in terms of access. The other thing is too, workforce. Uh, workforce is extremely important for the number of beds that we have throughout the state. Even if we were to invest a great deal of money into uh into expanding services um, and expanding beds and crisis center etc we don't have the workforce to even um, deal with that expansion and coverage and so you know we we need to work on our pipelines from high school to university university to uh, the profession uh and so those are things that are are critical and these are all components what we call the unified vision Mm -hmm. uh, mental health care which we're we're actively advocating uh the the state legislature and trying to pass some some laws to help us in all of these categories because they're extremely important for us to move the needle from last to you know somewhere else because i you know, I know, I I, I know we don't like uh, Alabama, but you know, we're behind Alabama, and so we got to do better. And if you know, I challenge all our our folks out there in in elected positions and appointed positions to help us not be last. So, uh, so you've talked
2: about obviously expansion of Medicaid. You just talked about the workforce and, and personnel being able to meet, even if you had it expanded system for folks. And I'm curious, because even earlier today at the time of this broadcast, Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, in talking and trying to get folks to sign up for a health care, what we formerly called Obamacare, uh, you all look at then just very simply those who have insurance and those who don't have insurance, whether it's being underinsured or uninsured, that I'm sure is a factor as well.
4: Yeah, uh being insured, uninsured is is a factor, right? Some some uh insurance coverages don't provide comprehensive mental mental health coverage. Um and and, and so that that is a, a determining factor uh in that. Um you know, I, I know Georgia definitely needs to to we we have some issues here, it's mm-hmm. apparent. And it's not just here, it's 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 nationally. Um And so, but it's, I just, it just breaks my heart, (laughs) in a lot of instances, thinking about, you know, these these gaps, Mm -hmm. and while we're going through a pandemic and not having the ability to, to, to help people through through crisis, because we're we're looking at crisis level situation here.
2: In just a moment, I'm going to speak with the DeKalb County School Superintendent. I want to focus on our youth for a moment and our children, because in part of these measures that are making up this, this access ranking, you all talked about uh, students identified with emotional disturbance um, for an IE, which is IEP, which is, a, which is an individualized education program, and children with private insurance that did not cover mental or emotional problems as well georgia lacks in that area i i take it that's what i can gather from this
4: oh yeah absolutely uh one of the things that we're extremely concerned about especially as uh, children are returning to uh to school is you know if you haven't if you've been suffering from a mental illness throughout this pandemic right mm-hmm. and then now you're you're emerging and going back into uh to society with untreated uh, with an untreated condition that energy has to flow out somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And so, right now, we don't necessarily have the the, the tools and resources in place to help uh, young people redirect that energy to to have the tools necessary to cope with these issues. Uh, I know our organization. Uh, we we do a lot of work with uh, with youth through our kids on the block program and, mm-hmm. and helping them to identify and, and, and cope with with mental illness. But the problem is, is this is it's not enough tools out there for for everybody.
2: Mr. Henderson, you all, Mr. Henderson, you all have identified you know why Georgia ranks last in terms of of access to to mental health care. What solutions are y'all offering? I know we t- you just gave a few, but is this more of the state legislature? Is it who's who's running the states? And then does it come down to Democrats and Republicans? You don't want to make it out of politics. But listen, when it comes to health care, we, we have to be honest. It's been about politics the last 20 some years, if not further than that. So wherein right. lies the solution here?
4: Uh, you know, that's a great question. And I, I believe the solution lies in, in and we all have a part. Right. Uh, you know, it's a public private partnership that needs to to happen. Uh, we need corporations and foundations to get more involved in mental health. Uh, we need the General Assembly, the governor, to become more active and and injecting more resources into it. Like prime example number one, like the governor uh, has this access to up to four $4 billion in American Rescue Plan funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's highlighted three buckets, but none of them are towards public health. Um, they're still using the, the investment in uh, the, the COVID, the 300 million that came in through, through COVID funding. Uh, the federal government through the Biden administration has allocated between there was some Trump money and now there's some, some Biden money that equal up to about $180 million. Uh, but we don't know how that money is going to be allocated and used so we need some more transparency on, on how this money is going to be used and the other thing is the biden administration uh, gave us some money towards mental health and substance abuse block grants mm-hmm. that's a great vehicle and they chose that to push money out right away the problem is is that it's highly restrictive in certain areas so it can only help a certain population of folks um, and so you know between loosening some of these restrictions. Um, And, and, you know, still uh, pushing more money, uh, investing into DBHDD, uh, you know, uh, uh, Department of Education, Department of Family and Children's Services, you know, all these organizations need more resources to be able to tackle, you know, this emerging problem.
2: Then what role can you all play in either reaching out to state lawmakers or even reaching out to the Department of Public Health or even Governor Kemp for that matter? asking for a meeting saying, here's what we know. This is our space, so to speak. This is our wheelhouse, whatever, to try mm-hmm. to come up with some partnerships.
4: Oh, yeah. No, we we, we are actively uh, part of that discussion. Uh, MHA of Georgia is part of a group called the Georgia Mental Health Policy Partnership. Uh, it's us, uh, NAMI Georgia, Georgia Mental Health Consumer Network. It's, it's uh, Voices of Georgia, uh, the Carter Center. Uh, we, we are actively involved in working with the governor, the lieutenant governor, uh, the committees of jurisdiction on, on this issue. Uh, it's just that, you know, we're fighting against, in some parts, the insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they are actively pursuing their own agenda and we're pursuing ours. And so we just need some, some outside assistance in, in helping us advocate for, for Georgia's people.
2: As we wrap up, Mr. Henderson, when we started this conversation and I asked you about the fact that many believe our nation is in the midst of a mental health pandemic. If we don't get some of these measures in place, whether it's here in Georgia and definitely across the country, um, meaning this mental health crisis will already has led to increased cases of various mental health related conditions. What is the, and I hate to put it like this, but what is your fear then? Moving yeah. forward, what happens with so with millions of people who need access to mental health care?
4: Yeah, uh, I think we'll see an, an increased levels of suicide, depression, and violence. Uh, I think we've already seen that just in the Atlanta metro area, just the, the number of uh, deaths by homicide and, 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 and gun violence. Um, you know, just people have very short, fuses these days and without the ability to to have the, the resources and the tools to know what you're dealing with, um, you know, we're going to have people, like people are going to direct that energy somewhere. It could be done in a positive uh, way through, through, through uh, healthcare or, you know, intervention, education, mm-hmm. uh, wellness, or it could be taken out in frustration, right? Through, through arguments, through violence, through, through any, it's just, it's a number of ways, right? Yeah. Uh, so that, that's my biggest fear going forward is that we'll see um, increased levels of, of, of violence or people uh, doing self-harm, right? So, and substance abuse.
2: So mm. Abdul Henderson, Executive Director of the Mental Health America of Georgia, its affiliate, from Mental Health America, again, talking about the report where Georgia came in last among states regarding access to mental health care. We'll have a link to that report on our website. Mr. Henderson, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
4: All right. Thank you, Rose. Have a great one.
2: You too. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Some Georgia hospitals are overwhelmed with COVID-19 patients as infections and hospitalizations continue to rise rapidly across the state. Administrators actually from four coastal Georgia hospitals warned, gave warning at a press conference yesterday that their institutions are running out of beds for new patients. The region has been on the front line of an infection wave that has spread north out of Florida over the past month, and Georgia's rolling seven-day average for new positive tests is nearing 5,700, the worst since February 1st. And as mentioned earlier, COVID-19 cases among area students and staff continue to increase as well. School districts are allowed to implement their own safety protocols, and we've been checking in with area districts. Joining the program now is the superintendent of DeKalb County Public Schools, Dr. Cheryl Watson Harris, as always, thank you so much for taking the time, boy. You just can't escape me from day one. You've been, <laughs> I've been on your right.
3: <laughs> I was gonna say, I actually haven't heard from you in a while, so oh, it's good so to you, be with you. You get
2: nervous, huh? Uh, <laughs>
3: no, no, I'm ready. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's go back. It's been one week. Uh, how would you assess uh, that? That you know, last week, the first week, over your, overall, your thoughts on how it went? You know, tell us what what what, what were you thinking here?
3: I appreciate it Um, I think overwhelmingly we had a very strong start to school Um, we know that many of our scholars had not been um, in the face-to-face option in our school buildings for for over a year Um, and we had uh, 86 percent of our students um, return last week teachers and staff members were happy to receive our scholars uh and we just saw that the magic of school happening were there bumps in the road absolutely but um we were prepared to respond uh, quickly and timely and i'm 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 very proud of the efforts of the team
2: we should note uh, masks are mandatory correct just want to get that out the way
3: Yes, ma'am, we were uh, one of the the first districts to uh, institute a mandatory mask policy, all of our students and our staff are wearing masks, um, which we know is very important as part of our mitigation strategies, Uh, but we're also building in mask breaks. So we have uh, times when our, our scholars can go outside with their uh, teacher to remove the mask as long as they're socially distanced. Um, but we're continuing to just monitor the numbers and monitor where we're going. Um, because again, you know, the safety of our students and our staff has to be our number one priority.
2: In speaking with some other area superintendents, they talked about receiving messages from parents who said, hey, I'm in favor of masks, that's great. Some said if you continue with mask mandatory mask mandates, I'm not sending my child back to your district. Did you hear any of that?
3: Um, Early on, uh, we did hear uh, from many families that were against the mask policy. Um, But I have to say that overwhelmingly. THE MESSAGES THAT WE RECEIVED WERE THANK YOU. THANK YOU FOR uh, INSTITUTING THE MANDATORY MASK POLICY. Um, THAT DOESN'T MEAN THAT ANYONE'S OPINION IS BETTER THAN THE OTHER. Mm -hmm. Uh, WE we HEARD AND WE RESPECT THE OPINIONS OF ALL OF OUR FAMILIES. Um, BUT I WILL SAY AS uh, WE SEE NUMBERS RISE, uh, I ALSO SEE A REDUCTION IN THE NUMBER OF FAMILIES WHO um, HAVE CONCERN ABOUT THE MASK. BUT THERE ARE SOME FAMILIES WHO STILL uh, are not in support of the mandatory mask policy.
2: According to the district's latest report, there were a total of 213 COVID-19 cases from July 1st to August 6th. That's the latest information we could find on your website. Has that number changed to your knowledge?
3: Uh, yes, the number has increased. Um, I don't have the exact number for you right now, mm-hmm. but we continue to update our website. Uh, we look at each and every case uh, and work with our Decab Board of Health TO uh, DETERMINE NEXT STEPS ONCE THERE IS A POSITIVE CASE AND WE CONTINUE TO EDUCATE OUR STAFF AND OUR STUDENTS ABOUT HOW WE STAY SAFE. WE uh, HAVE um, CONTINUED WITH OUR NO VOLUNTEER or VISITOR POLICY THAT mm-hmm. WE HAD IN PLACE LAST SPRING TO BRING DOWN THE NUMBER OF, of VARIABLES um, AS WELL AS uh, CONTINUING TO WORK on making testing available to our staff and students, as well as access to the vaccine for those that want that and educating our staff and families um, so that they can make the most informed decision regarding the vaccine for their families.
2: Madam Superintendent, is there a certain number of cases, however, though, per school building that would maybe prompt you all to, to have to shift to virtual for some time, you know, you look at the numbers and some schools, there are no cases. And some schools, mm-hmm. I think it was one of the middle schools, you had seven cases. So mm-hmm. is there a, a threshold that you all are, are, are looking at here?
3: I, I wish it was that simple. Mm-hmm. We have to uh, take each case by case. And um, as I shared, we work with the DeKalb Board of Health to make the necessary decisions based on um, you know, the guidance from the uh, DeKalb Board of Health to determine what decisions we will make. Um, but again, we, you know, we, we have been as a system very conservative and cautious um, and making sure that we're always keeping the safety of our students and our staff as the number one priority, but not doing that in isolation. Mm-hmm. We have to do that, you know, with the guidance um, of the DeKalb Board of Health.
2: Well, that being said, in terms of we know some school districts have had to, for some schools, have had to. I guess quarantine is the best word. Um, you haven't had to do that yet.
3: No, we uh, we haven't had to uh, shut. schools any school down. Mm-hmm. Um, we have had cases where uh, certain individuals had to um, be quarantined, in, you know, in their homes uh, based on the information uh, and the guidance that we receive from the DeKalb Board of Health. Um, we're, we're trying really hard. We, we, we know that our children, the majority of them do better in the schoolhouse. That's true. We know, I was listening to your earlier, uh, your guests from earlier about the impacts on our mental health, our social emotional health, you know, we're better together as a community, mm-hmm. and we want to keep the children in the school building, um, and it. We have to, you know, work as a community to be as responsible as we can, and to implement the mitigation strategies so that we don't have to close down schools or go back into the virtual space. But if that is, you know, where we get as a as a community, um, we're prepared. We learned so much from March 13th, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and um, uh, we have to be prepared. My new thing that I tell my team is we can't just have a plan A. We have to have a plan A, B, C, D, and E and be ready to execute on each one of them um, should the um, should there be a need.
2: Let's shift for a moment and let's talk about now the students. And as they are getting reacclimated, I guess, back to being in the buildings, in the classroom, assessments. You know, we lo- we know so much about learning loss over the summer. Um, at what point, if maybe educators have already begun this, will you all begin to look at how do we assess students for learning loss? And, and then from there, be able to have a plan because it's going to be different, obviously, for for every student.
3: I think I told you this before. You should have been a teacher because you always write on time with the plan (laughs) and you think so much like an educator. So I always appreciate that. Absolutely. I mean, we put in place a 10 day plan Mm
1: -hmm.
3: for when students first arrived and we're, you know, we're on the second day of our second week. Um, And the goal of these 10 days is to assess our students first and foremost to see how they're feeling. Uh, you know, uh, from many of our scholars, we don't know what kind of impact or trauma they've experienced as a result of this pandemic. So we're just checking in informally and even formally on, on how children are feeling um, and making sure that they feel safe and happy to be back in the schoolhouse. Um, and then we're uh, beginning, we started our formal testing um, yesterday, our, our formal uh, MAP Uh, testing, Uh, but we've also put in place informal assessments, just kind of quick ways for teachers to check in uh, where children are in terms of the grade level standard and then begin to develop. I, again, heard you with the earlier speaker uh, uh, speaking about IEPs, which Mm -hmm. is for children who have special education, an individual education plan, Mm -hmm. but doing something similar Like, Mm -hmm. what is the individual plan that we have to have for each scholar um, to make sure that they are, uh, I don't really like the word remediate, but that we're remediating while we're accelerating. So we do have to fill in those gaps, uh, but we also have to hold the children to the highest standard, grade level standard, so that they don't fall even further behind. And that's what our educators are really engaged in right now, those diagnostics.
2: And Superintendent Watson-Harris, DeKalb County, as you know, is also a county that is dealing with some other, as we call, quality of life issues. When we look at risk, those households that are at risk for eviction, then you look at just the, the health impact in terms of households that might be impacted by COVID. Perhaps someone is unable to work. All these wraparound services then come into play. Mm-hmm. You know, probably more than ever for any school district, particularly urban school districts, more than ever now. And and you are like everybody else. Y'all been receiving some money, which is a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. Are you able to assess already that you're going to probably have to increase some of these wraparound services to help students of households that are facing these other quality of life issues? And look, evictions is one. Let's be really mm-hmm. clear.
3: Absolutely. And uh, what I uh, have said often is that. Uh, yes, the pandemic has illuminated these issues, but we know these issues have been in place for a very long time. And uh, it's our responsibility as a school system, as a larger DeKalb County. And we're so fortunate to have such a supportive um, community that we have to band together and, and stand in the gap for many of our families. So we've uh, already begun a lot of things. One is Uh, you know, for families who don't know how to access or even navigate or find the resources that we have, we're going out into the communities. Mm -hmm. So we have teams that are going out to apartment complexes, to community centers. Um, We got a grant. Uh, We're we're outfitting a bus. So we'll be DeKalb County School on Wheels going out. I will be on the bus um, occasionally and when my schedule allows uh, to go out into the communities um, to offer resources in real time, like we've been doing, uh, boxes of food, school supplies, etc., but also um, opportunities to link to other community organizations that can help longer term. Um, the other thing I would really love to lift up, and I'd love to invite you, um, to our first safe center. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a new safe center at Cross Keys High School, where we have a lot of families that we know are in need there. Mm -hmm. Uh, The safe center includes a clothing closet, a food pantry, immigration services, GED classes. Um, I like to call it the place so that our families and students can always say, I know where to go Mm -hmm. if I need uh, help. Also a social worker, full-time social worker there. Um, And our hope is to have a safe center and expand to a safe center in every region of of the school department um, as a hub for our families.
2: And before I I let you go, I wanna ask about resources then for your educators and your staff because Mm -hmm. they've fallen at, some of them may be at risk for everything we just talked about too. What are you hearing from educators in terms of their mental health and overall how they're feeling?
3: Absolutely, and uh, you know I don't think it's any secret that nationwide we have seen people leaving the profession Um, because this is, you know, it's a a new day. Um, But we have champions who are committed to our scholars and who are pushing through uh, even the impacts that this has had on them personally. And it's our responsibility to be able to give back and care for them. Um, We're fortunate that our Board of Education adopted our budget uh, last evening. Um, And in our new budget, we have... uh, Identify personnel as wellness coordinators, mm-hmm. who can offer supports uh, to our teachers proactively in terms of mindfulness practices, yoga practices, just overall well-being, um, and then a, a wellness coordinator on our human resources team to help uh, staff that are in more acute situations, things that would be maybe more confidential, so they have a next step as well.
2: And I've been had this uh, this conversation earlier too, and and. Dealing with this pandemic and whether it's with school districts or health care, what have you, just that politics has gotten has gotten in the way. Many believe <laughs> politics has gotten in the way of of really what's important as the nation deals and the world, for that matter. But as this nation deals with the pandemic, um, your thoughts on all of that? I
0: well,
2: mean, you maybe. got governor, you got the governor in Florida talking about how you're going to hold people's paychecks back if they support masks and All that, you know,
3: well, I think, you know, it's a very interesting time uh, in in our country. It's a very interesting time in education. I told my staff we had our summer leadership institute uh, a a couple of weeks ago, and I told them, you know, that I have to count on them to do their job and, and they have to count on me to do mine. Um, and as the superintendent it's my responsibility to stay abreast of of what's happening nationally to learn from best practices um, and to collaborate with my colleagues so uh, all of the superintendents in the metro atlanta area we we, uh, meet regularly to talk about these issues and um, make suggestions about what we need in terms of supports but um, you know, it's it it is definitely an interesting time, and I'm just really proud of all of my colleagues across uh, Metro Atlanta, Georgia, and, and nationally that are, you know, navigating through this in the best interests of their students.
2: So, who is your support system other than superintendents?
3: Uh, my staff. I have an amazing team. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely. Uh, we have, I think it's specific to this pandemic and navigating through this. Um, we've had an, an amazing uh, medical advisory committee um, that uh, I have to give them so much credit and, and thanks and gratitude uh, because I'm not a medical expert. I'm mm-hmm. an educational expert. And, um, you know, I had to have their uh, guidance and uh, advisory as well. Um And thank God I have a a beautiful husband and three children (laughs) that I get to go home to um, at the end of the day. But, uh, you know, just seeing the smile on our students' faces and the amazing staff, that that's what gives me support uh, and uh, enthusiasm and energy to get through uh, the challenges.
2: All right, Superintendent of DeKalb County Public Schools, Dr. Cheryl watson harris as always, we appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. I appreciate you. Have a great day.
2: You too now. Bye-bye. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder, you can always let me know your thoughts on today's program or any other program. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you know, Closer Look is weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like because it's free which is always great. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott.
3: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
4: The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in a WABE Politics podcast. New name, same on the ground reporting from us, WABE Politics reporters Sam Green Glass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe
0: at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform.
3: WABE.